today we're going to continue on in our series on the parables. You know, what a, what a fitting start of the day when we're talking about what we are today than the baptism that we witnessed with Jordan. Isn't that amazing? Young kids stepping up, proclaiming his faith in the Lord, being bold enough to do that. That's amazing. Give him a round of applause, would you? So Jordan just displayed this and professed it, but what does it mean when we say that Jesus is my Lord? What does it mean when we say that Jesus is my Lord? You know, this is an important thing for us to know. I mean, it's like Christianese language, right? We all say it. We all know it. It's what the Bible says. But what does it mean to confess and live in light of Jesus being my Lord? Well, Matthew 7, starting in verse 21, says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. You say, hold on a second. In Awana, I memorized Romans 10, 9, which says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. True. But the confession of the mouth has to match the true belief in the heart, which produces love for God, which produces obedience, right? If you don't know that, go back to the sermon last week where we talked about exactly that. But... This is what this verse says as well in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me with their lips, Lord, Lord, Jesus is Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many mighty works in your name? A.K.A. lots of religious works. And Jesus says, then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So religious works without godliness that comes from a genuine love, which comes from a genuine conversion and confession, does not cut it. Additionally, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, our great commission passage, says that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, a.k.a. I am Lord of the universe. He says, therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. So Jesus says, I'm Lord of the universe. You've come to believe this. Therefore, go spread this truth to the nations so that they can come under my rule and reign as well. So if you're serving of the Lord, you're a discipler. You're a spreader of the gospel. You know, I think this is an important one for us as Americans to understand. Um, Titus 2.14 in Titus 2.14, Paul says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. You know, I think it's important that we understand that Jesus died to make us passionate doers, not just passive don't-doers. We need to understand that, right? We need to be known by what we do rather than just what we don't do. Well, I don't say these types of things. I don't hang out with these kind of people. I don't listen to this kind of music. I don't, I don't, I don't. And that's because I'm a Christian. Well, that's good. You know, there are things in the Bible that 
or that God commands us not to do, but we have to be known by what we do. So, if Jesus is Lord, then I am servant, I am slave. If he is master, I am submitted to him in his lordship. I am obedient to all that he tells me to do in my life. So the question is, am I a faithful or am I a lazy servant? You say, lazy? Who are you to say that to me? Sorry, not my words, Jesus' words. This is where we're going today in the parable of the talents. We've got two examples of faithful servants who use what God has given them for his glory, and then we have the lazy or the slothful servant who by not serving the Lord actually shows that he does not know him at all. This is where we're going today. Let's pray, and then we'll turn to Matthew 25. Gracious Lord, we come before you. We give you praise for what you've already been doing in our midst today. Lord, your spirit is here. We know it. We can feel it. Uh, Lord, we lift up Jordan to you. We thank you for the transformation that you have brought in his life. And we ask that you would walk closely with him, draw him near to you, make him more like you, and use him to spread your truth and to save souls in this world. Be with us today, Lord. Uh, empty of us, our, empty us uh, all of ourselves. Fill us with your spirit. Open our hearts that we might hear your word and be transformed by it and be better, faithful, trustworthy servants of you. And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Matthew 25, if you remember, a uh, long time ago, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Bob preached on the first 13 verses of Matthew 25. Uh, I asked him if he'd come and give us a 20-minute summary. He said, you know, there's just not enough time. We've got a lot of stuff to do today. So if you remember, the main point of that parable, the parable of the ten virgins, was are you prepared for the Lord's coming? He said we need to wake up because he's coming. We need to watch. We need to wait. And the one who does that is a wise servant of the Lord. Because he's prepared. So there, you can either be wise or foolish as we prepare and wait for the Lord's coming. Immediately after that parable, Jesus tells another parable that we're going to go over today. Speaking about the kingdom of heaven and trying to get you as well to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. So the first question that we're going to ask, our first major point is, why should I serve the Lord and his church? I mean, I know I should, but uh, why? You tell me I should be serving him. You tell me I should be serving his church. Why? This is what this parable focuses on. So we're going to ask that question and follow it up in the second half of the sermon by asking, if you are the Lord's servant, what is holding you back from serving him in his church? So, why should I serve the Lord in this church? Let's start reading this parable in verse, uh, verse 14. If you glance over to verse 1, you'll see what he's referring to here, though. So verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven will be like, okay, and then he goes into the first parable. Now verse 14, for it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. So what's going on here? The first thing we're going to see is that God entrusted you with his treasures. God has entrusted you with his treasures. So why should I serve the Lord in his church? One, God has entrusted you with his treasures. This word means to entrust, to hand over, to to put in your possession so that you would be able to make it useful. We see in verse 18 that there's one who is given one talent who buries it in the ground. You say, well, this is a good thing. I mean, he's going to keep it safe. He's not going to lose it, right? Wrong. God has not given us gifts and treasures in time to just keep safe. He's given them to us to make useful. What's a talent? It's a good question. We have a modern understanding of what a talent means, which is a natural ability, right? You're a talented pianist or talented basketball player. Uh, but a talent in this passage is speaking of something different. People disagree on exactly uh, how much a talent is worth, but it's a quantity of money. Uh, a typical understanding of this is that it is 20 years of wages for a day laborer. 20 years of wages for a day laborer. Let's think about this in modern terms. You're working at Chick-fil-A, okay? I don't know how much they make at Chick-fil-A. They, I know they advertise 15 bucks an hour, but we're just going to go with the Illinois minimum wage standard, which is 12 bucks an hour. With no tax, you work 40 hours a week, you're making $25,000 a year. So you're the one who's given one talent today. Remember, you're a Chick-fil-A worker. Your master says, hey, George, here's half a million dollars. I'm going on a trip. I'm entrusting this to you. Half a million dollars, 20 years it would take for this person to make that. And he's been entrusted with it. Again, our first point here is God has entrusted you with his treasures. The second person is given a million dollars. The first person is given two and a half million dollars. I mean, this is a lot of money. What are you going to do with this? Well, something else that we notice in this passage is that the master, who represents the Lord here, gives different amounts to people. He entrusts different amounts to people in accordance with their ability. This is important for us to understand. For instance, um, do you think Albert Einstein was expected by God to use his brain for inventions in math more than I am? Definitely. Do you think God has a higher standard for how Elon Musk ought to use his money than I do? Yes. Why? Because there's a greater amount that's been entrusted. But the thing is, it's not so much about how much you've been entrusted, but how you use it. And we're going to get to this point because it's about faithfulness. Are you using what you've been given? Speaking, on, or speaking of that, what has God given you? 
you know, the, the talent in this parable uh, is specifically a monetary thing that he's been put in charge of, but I don't think we should narrow the application of what the talent is so, so much. Uh, a good way to look at it is time, treasure, and talent. But that's confusing because we just said talent is not talent, right? So we'll say time, gifts, and resources. How has God specifically made you different than another? We'll use Julie and Jason, for example. These are wonderful people, wonderful servants of the Lord. Personalities are different. Skill sets are different. I imagine each of you is not a clone of one another, and you have been put together because you minister for the Lord in different ways, and so you work better as a unit. How has God specifically made you? What people has he put in your life in this time? What opportunities has he opened for you to use his gifts, resources, and the time that he has given you? We can think about spiritual gifts as well. And we'll focus on this a bit more later. But each of us, if we believe in the Lord Jesus, has his Holy Spirit within us. So we all have the same spirit, but the Holy Spirit manifests himself differently in each of our lives. What is your spiritual gift that you've been given by the Holy Spirit? Because if you believe in Jesus, you have one. Are you using it? And if you're not, then the people in this church are at a disadvantage. We are not living as a church body to our full potential. We are not in full health because all of our members are not using the gifts that the Spirit has given to them. What has God given you? This is important to know because if we don't know what he's given us, how do we know if we're using it? How do we know how to use it? He's made you for a purpose in such a way that you might accomplish what he has for your life. The second point that we have is that he expects you to steward these treasures faithfully while he is away. To steward them faithfully while he's away. So why should I serve the Lord in his church? He's entrusted you with his treasures. They're his. They're gifts. He's lending them to you so that you would use them, and he expects you to steward them faithfully. You know, in the parable in verse 14, it says that the man goes on a journey. This is representative of Jesus ascending back into heaven, going away for a while, and then returning at his second coming. How are you using what he has entrusted you with while you wait for Christ to come? Each of us is given a responsibility, a task to accomplish you are in charge of using what God has entrusted you with and not just keeping it safe. Are you burying your gift? Is it sitting on a shelf collecting dust? Or is it being used for others' good and for his glory? How am I using it for him? You know, with the Holy Spirit within us, we are quite literally the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Jesus is continuing his mission and accomplishing his mission in this world through the people in his church. He could do it all by himself. He could do it through angels. But he has chosen to give you his spirit to empower you to accomplish his mission. Are you walking in this? You know, something that 
that I thought about in going through this is, you know, when Jesus is on earth, how disciplined did he have to be to always use to the full potential what he had and always be obedient in every single opportunity he was given? Always do the right thing. How many times do we walk through our day and think, I should have said this, I should have done this, I could have done more, I should have used this. Think, man, Jesus did it perfectly every minute of the day, which is why we need him in his forgiveness and his righteousness. But man, can't we follow that example of Christ better? Let's read verses 16 and 17. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Do you notice that little word or phrase at once? The Lord gives him this, and he obeys immediately. He doesn't wait. Uh, the word for um, slothful that the Lord is going to describe the disobedient servant as can actually mean hesitant. Just, uh, I don't know if I want to pull the trigger. What if something bad happens? I don't know. I'm nervous. They do it immediately. We can't keep waiting to use what God has given us. We can't be hesitant. They do this immediately. You see that the person who is given five talents gets an equal return on what he's given. The one who's given two talents gets an equal return on what he's given. You see, the Lord has gifted us differently. You see, uh, Pastor Ryan and Pastor Bob and I... I believe the Lord has given us the gift of teaching, but we teach differently. We're not clones of one another. The people that teach the gospel around the world who have the, the, the spiritual gift of teaching teach differently to different capacities in different ways. He uses our personalities. God is not so much concerned that the two-talent person gets five because, well, the other guy got five. Shouldn't you get as much as him? No. You need to be faithful with what you've been given. And don't be looking around comparing yourself to other people because God only expects from you a return based on the quantity he has given you. We need to be faithful with what we have been given. In verse 18, we see a contrast. The uh, don't follow me example in this parable. And we'll talk more in depth about him in the second half of the message. But let's introduce him. Verse 18 but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and had his and hid his master's money. He's given one talent and he says, I'm gonna hide it. There can be many reasons for why he does this. Again, we'll get into him a little bit later. But he digs it into the ground, he buries it. This is disobedience. Because the thing is, when the master entrusts his resources to his servants. He doesn't just want them to keep it safe. He expects them to use it. Because you can imagine if he was there, this is how he would be using his own resources. And so he expects us to respond with the gifts we've been given by putting them into use. So thus far, we've seen that we should serve the Lord and his church because God has entrusted us with his treasures. He's expecting us to steward them faithfully while he's away. We've got two knowing that statements now. Knowing that, 
you will give an account when he returns. Do you guys ever think about that? We should think about that more, right? There's going to be a day where you enter into the pearly gates and stand before Jesus, and he's going to say, hey, Gene, man, uh, I, I gifted you with a lot while you're on earth. How did you use what I gave you? Say, I didn't even know you gave me that. You didn't know. I gave this to you to use. Or I was nervous. I didn't know what other people were going to think. What if I failed? What if I used it improperly? So I, I just, I didn't do much with it, Lord. There's going to be a time where Jesus will ask you, what have you done with what I have entrusted you with? Are you being faithful with what he's given you? Are you being wise and shrewd? Are you being intentional with your use of the gifts that he's given you? Because each of you has many gifts to use for his glory. Let's read, uh, starting in verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master... You delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So let's break these down. What is the response of the master to his servant? Well done. Not, you only got five? I mean, I entrusted you in modern day with two and a half million dollars. That's all you could do while I was gone? No, he says, well done. You have been faithful with what I have given you. You have used it to the capacity that you were able to based on your abilities and based on the gifting that I gave to you. Well done. I am pleased. Well done, good and faithful servant. Good. His use of it has been godly. It's been God-centered. He has not used it for himself and for his good, but for God and his glory, for the spread of his kingdom. Good and faithful servant. You have shown yourself trustworthy. Are we showing ourselves daily to be trustworthy of the gifts and resources, and time that the Lord has given us. Because we don't deserve any of these things. We're not promised that even tomorrow we'll have them all, right? What if the Lord took these all away? How different would your life be if all your resources and all of your gifts were taken away? Would we be able to continue doing the things that we have been doing for him? Well done, good and faithful servant. He submitted He's obedient to the Lord. He understands that he is underneath the Lord, and as his servant, he must obey his master. Number four, so we serve the Lord because he's entrusted us with his treasures. We're going to have to give an account. And knowing that, you will be given eternal life by his grace and eternal rewards for your service. We faithfully steward what he has graciously giving us, given us in response to his mercy. God has given his only begotten son for us. He has paid the price for us. 
Our sins are forgiven because of what he has done, and out of a response to his mercy, out of love for the master, we obey by faithfully using what he has given us. I think this is pretty cool. The master says, you've been faithful over a little. A little? $2.5 million, a little? He says, I'm going to put you over much now. You enter into my kingdom, and because you have been faithful with your earthly responsibilities, I am going to reward you by putting you over heavenly responsibilities in accordance with your trustworthiness that you've showed on earth. That's interesting, isn't it? Do you know that while we'll all be in the same heaven, we'll all be in the presence of the same God, that we will have different eternal rewards based on how we've lived our life now? We'll have different responsibilities as servants of the Lord forevermore based on how trustworthy and faithful we show ourselves to be now. Do we live in light of that? The Lord is a rewarder of faithful service, therefore we need to be faithful servants. The master says, enter into the joy of your master. This is speaking of eternal life. The servant has not earned his eternal life, right? We know salvation is not based on works. But as a result, as we saw, saw last week, of understanding what God has done, you've truly believed in him, which produces salvations, which results in love, which shows itself in obedience. So as a faithful servant, this person shows that he has truly been saved. Verses 22 and 23. The response of the master to the second person. And he who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, catch this, same words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So from this, because it's the same response that he gives the one with five who produced five, we, say, we see that it's not about how much you have been given, but what you do with what you've been given. We've been given different things. It's easy to look at somebody like Elon Musk and think, if I had that much money, then I could serve the Lord how I wanted to. Or if I just had this, or this kind of job, or this kind of gifting, or, or more time, if, if my job didn't take up so much time, I could do this, this, and this. The Lord has put you in the situation that you are in and has called you to be faithful with who you are, how he's made you, and what he's given you. Don't look around and compare yourself to other people, what they have, what they don't have. He's called us to be faithful based on what he's given second major point is another question. If Jesus is my Lord, then what is holding me back from serving him in his church? What's holding me back? I think we see quite a few uh, things that maybe hold us back based on the words of the third servant who is entrusted with one talent. So we're going to ask five questions. And, and when I first wrote these down, they were yes and no's. Am I this? Am I doing this? Yes, no, yes, no. Uh, I imagine a lot of us, maybe most of us, struggle with some of these things, maybe all of these things to one degree or another. So rather than just saying, yes, I do, or no, I don't, 
I'm, I'm going to ask why. Why am I doing this? And I want you to think about these things, not just in this message, but when you go home today, throughout this week, and think about how you can respond in light of the why. Let's start reading. Verse 24. He also who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Let's go back to verse 18 really quickly. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. The first question, why am I wasting the treasures God has given me to use? Why am I wasting the treasures that God has given me to use? Are they collecting dust on a shelf? Have they been buried never to be looked at again? What's preventing you from taking that shovel and taking it up and using it? What's holding you back? You know, for me, uh, one of the biggest things that I think I've squandered over the last seven years as a believer is uh, music. I have been paralyzed by insecurities. What are people going to think? What if they don't like this kind of music? What if they don't think it's good enough? What if it doesn't get the response that I want it to? So what's happened is I've devoted a lot of times over the last seven years to making God-centered music, and almost nobody has heard of it. Just sits on my computer. So God's given me gifts. He's given me the resources to use these gifts and record it. And he's given me time, which I've used to do it, and I've done nothing with it. I say, what are you doing? I, I had a buddy in India, my name, or uh, my, my buddy Ben, who said, it is, it is sinful for you to not put this out for people to hear. It is. Because I'm wasting what God has given me. Just a short story from summer camp. So I, I started putting my music out this year. And the first time I really got to use it for people and, and to have them get hype and, and, and do it with me was at summer camp this year. And I'll tell a short story about a guy who uh, was touched by one of the songs. It's called Man of Sorrows. It talks about how uh, we, we go through a ton of things in our life, but Jesus walks with us through it and understands because he's gone through suffering himself. And he came up to me uh, in the evening session and said, you know, the song that you uh, performed yesterday, he said, it, it really spoke to me, and I've never said this to anybody before, but for the last year, I've been hanging around with the wrong friends. I didn't know they did this, but I started drinking with them. I started using drugs, and I've been so depressed these last couple of months that I've been contemplating committing suicide. And I've never told this to anybody before. And then the next day, when we had the ceremony where we buried the things of our old self, died to our old self, and walked forward in Christ, that, that night in the worship, he was one of the people that got forward and gave testimony and said, today I have died to drugs and to alcohol, to suicidal ideations and to depression. What happens if my insecurities took over and I never did the music? I don't know. But the Lord used that in that man's life. And I think he can use it in other people's as well. So this is one of the things that I think I've squandered. What is it for you? 
What has he given you that you've not done enough with? If we don't use it, we squander our kingdom impact. Number two, why am I paralyzed by fear, failure, and false perceptions of God? Why am I paralyzed by fear, failure, and false perceptions of God? I think we can see this in verse 24 and 25. The person says to the master, I, know, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and buried my talent in the ground. Why? Well, let's see how this is connected. He thinks his master's ungracious. He thinks he's, he's hard, he's stern, he's severe. So as a result of his false perception of his master, because if you see, uh, the master with the other people doesn't ask for the stuff back. He gives it to them. The man with the five keeps the five and the five. He's gracious. He's not a hard and stern master. But he says, because I had this false perception of you, I feared you because I didn't know how you would respond if I failed. Maybe that's happening in our lives. Are we living our lives based on a false perception of who God is? How are we going to know this if we're not sifting through our thoughts of God in the word of God and in community? Often we don't know that we're thinking something incorrectly or living incorrectly unless somebody tells us, right? So we need to be in community for that to happen. You know, this would be like uh, your grandma giving you a winter coat and saying, I want you to use this. This is for you. You say, wow, this is a nice coat. And then you put it in the closet for the whole winter. Springtime comes around and she says, how's the coat? I say, it's great. Look at it. It's still brand new. Got it right here. I saved it. Say, no, that's a gift to be used. What are you, why didn't you use what I gave you? Well, I was fearful that it would get ruined. I was fearful that something might happen to it. I might lose it. I think that we can be paralyzed by fear. Fear of God. Maybe we think about him wrongly. Fear of people. Maybe people have hurt you in the past, and you say, I don't know. I don't want to be hurt again. So I don't want to put myself out there. I think we can struggle with that. Or fear of what people will think of me. What are people going to think in my office if I use the gifts that God has given me? If I live for Jesus based on what he's given me, what are they going to do? God's a God of second chances. He uses our mistakes to grow us. He just wants faithfulness with what he's given us. Question three, why am I making excuses or blaming others in order to justify my laziness? Why am I making excuses or blaming others in order to justify my laziness? In verse 26, the master answers him and says, You wicked and slothful servant. Oh, you knew that I reap where I have sown, where I have not sown, and, and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming should have received what was my own with interest. So he makes excuses, and he blames others. God it's your fault, okay? If you weren't the way you were, then I would have served you. But you're harsh, okay? So I didn't do it. It's really your fault. Hmm, say, okay, Adam and Eve, blame shifting, are we? That characterizes all of our lives, doesn't it? It's always somebody else's fault. There's always a reason that's good for us for why we're not doing it. Do our excuses really cut it? This plays into the next one as well. Why am I lying about or concealing the real reasons I'm not serving him? 
You see, the master calls him out on his lie. He says, oh, you thought that I was a harsh master who gathers where he doesn't plant? He says, okay, if you really thought that, then why didn't you put the money into the bank where it at least would have collected interest? If you really thought that and you wanted to be certain that you weren't going to lose it and that you could give me more than I gave you, you would have put it in the bank. But that's not the real reason. So he's lying about his intentions. Really, it's covering up the true reason he didn't do anything, which is laziness and no real love for the master. You see, in doing nothing, this man shows himself to not truly be a servant of the Lord. A servant of the Lord who does not serve the Lord is not the Lord's servant. A servant of the Lord who does not serve the Lord is not the Lord's servant. He may be with his mouth, but he's not in his heart. He may be with his words, but if he has no deeds, he's not. He may be by title, I am a servant, I am a Christian, but in reality, he is not. The last one we'll hit on quickly because I'm going to get to the main point, which is serve the Lord in his church, right? But the last question is, why am I discouraged and distracted by comparison? Why am I discouraged and distracted by comparison? This is more of an observation rather than something I think we see directly in the text. But if you're, if you're two, don't you want to be like the five? I mean, Oh, if I could just be like him, if I could just be like her, then I could serve. Oh, man, I'll never be as good as her. Why even try? The Lord has individually and specifically gifted you exactly how he desires to. We need to be faithful with what he's given us, no matter how much he's given us. Because remember, he gives the same response to the two who uses the two as he does with the five who uses the five. It's not about how much we've been given, it's how we use it. So let's not compare ourselves because we'll get distracted and discouraged. So as we conclude this, I want to push us towards a point. I want you to serve the Lord in your life in the situation that you are in, but particularly in this local church. The Lord has you here for a reason at this specific time to serve him in a specific way. Your God-given gifts are vital to the health of this church. You know, Jesus uses the uh, illustration, and (laughs) it's not just an illustration. It is the reality of his church being a body. This local church is a mini body of Christ. You know, it's easy to think about the body and think, oh, the brain is the best. What would the body be without the brain? Okay, try doing labor without your ten fingers. Each finger is important for doing the task that the brain thinks about. Or, you know, you've got great arms, you can bench press all of this, but you've got no feet. I mean, that would be hard to really do much with with your biceps, play some sports if you don't have any feet. It's easy to look at other people in the body of Christ and think, The eyes are so much better. And it's easy for the eyes to say, yes, we are. Each part is essential. 1 Corinthians 12.26 says, if one part of the body suffers, the rest of the body suffers. 
You know, you can be in great physical shape, but if you have pneumonia, it's going to put you out of action no matter what sort of condition you're in. Each of us needs to be healthy. Each of us needs to be operating according to our spiritual gift and the capacity God's given us in serving one another because God has given us spiritual gifts not to just display him, but to build one another up and serve each other and love one another. How are you using those gifts? You know, as we start a new year of ministry in the fall, this can be a hinge point for our church to take us from one place to another. How can we operate when we are at full capacity and each person is using the gifts that they've been given? Have we seen that yet? Why not this fall? You know, I think it's easy to think that, you know, the pastors and the staff members are the most important. You know, there's a common, common phrase in churches that says, you know, 10% of the people do 90% of the work, or 20% of the people do 80% of the work. But that is not the way that the body is supposed to operate. The eyes are not more important than the hands. Right now we have three pastors on staff. We'll just go through this for a, for a quick little example and we'll end. We got three pastors on staff. Ryan and I are full-time. Bob is part-time. So we've got 100 hours in the week. Now, obviously, it usually doesn't look like 100. It's usually more than 40, 40, and 20. But for an, or for, for an illustration, this will work. Three pastors, we've got 100 hours in the week. Each week we have about 300 people who attend the church. If each of you is serving what would take the pastors three weeks to accomplish, we could do as a church in one hour. 300 people giving one hour would be the same as three people giving 100 hours for three weeks. It's crazy. We will operate our best when we are working together. This is not a one-man show. This is not a three-man show. This is not an eight or nine man and woman show. I, I can't remember exactly how many are on staff. I should have written this down. This is a whole body thing. How are you serving the Lord? How are you working for Christ? Are you giving your time to the church, not just because it's the right thing to do and I should be assigned to a ministry, but because God has gifted you with resources, with time, with talents, and has given you his spirit to love others, to build them up, to encourage them, to strengthen them and grow them in their walk with the Lord. And without you, we are all at a disadvantage. How are you serving the Lord? Are you serving in faithfulness? Or are we struggling with being slothful and lazy servants? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come before you knowing that you are our gracious master. You have given us so much. And Lord, so often we squander it. We let it sit on the shelf and collect us because of our insecurities, because of our fears, because of our laziness, Lord. And that's hard to admit. But let us be humble enough to recognize that we are imperfect and we need to step it up for you. Lord, let this ministry year that we are kicking off be the most productive year in your fields 
the most productive harvest that this church has ever seen. Not because of how good we are, but because of how gracious and good you are. Lord, let us use what you've given us. Let us more boldly and faithfully serve you and one another this year than ever before. And it's through your power and for your name that we do it. In Jesus' name, amen.